Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Eighty years and two days ago, young men were arrayed on the decks of ships in Pearl Harbor. Many were gathering for worship and in all likelihood, among the songs they sang was that very song. And the the installation in Pearl Harbor was attacked and the Second World War began and Young men and women from all over the country were arrayed in defense of this nation. And as as I think about that greatest generation, they came from the depression and went straight into a war. And they fought hard and they served well. And such a time as this ought not go ever unforgotten and unrecognized. So we remember, and I've been privileged to know a number of men who were sailors at Pearl Harbor on that day in my churches, and um, to a man, humble, and they would say, oh, it was no big deal. Also, as we go to prayer, Marty Starkey, whom we have been praying for, uh, she and Ron, God willing, will be down next month. And, uh, but Marty's mother has taken another fall and uh, is, is uh, facing, or has faced surgery. So just to remember Vita in your prayers, along with Marty, as she continues to fight a, um, a cancer that all of a sudden snuck up on her in September. Let's bow our hearts together in prayer. So Father, even now as we gather to pray, we we ask that your Holy Spirit might fill our hearts. We breathe in all the time. Little do we recognize that that is taking in your breath, the very breath that animates life, the, the breath into which you breathed life into Adam. And so, Lord, with each breath, may we be grateful for the gift that you have given us in this life and of this life. And thank you, O Lord, that you've given us opportunities to serve, to love, to care. And when necessary, as we remember of 80 years ago, you give us the courage then to fight and to die. Lord, we, we have a, a nation and a culture that doesn't die because they love death, they die because they love life. And so, Lord, we, we acknowledge the great sacrifices that have been made on our behalf as we 
are now on the threshold of that anniversary. And we ask, Lord, that the high standards that were established by this nation and, and the culture of this place, that, that those high standards might not be diminished in a time of political turmoil. But instead, through this turmoil, may we always recognize that that person across the aisle, that person with whom we may choose to argue, is not our enemy, that is our neighbor. And so, Lord, may we be the nation that you have forged us to be, the nation for which so many have given their lives. And Lord, we, we, pay, we pray, O oh Lord, for one another. We pray for our people who, who struggle from various forms of infirmity. Lord, and those who are in positions of taking care of others. We have individuals in our church, O oh Lord, who have a hard time remembering almost anything. We have others, O oh Lord, who are living confused. Others, Lord, who live with pain. Father, others who are alone and struggle with their isolation and loneliness. May we never forget, even though our lives might be busy, we might be occupied with all kinds of things, may we always remember those whom we have been charged to care because they are the least of our brothers and sisters. And may we likewise care for one another. We also pray, O oh Lord, for our president and administration. We pray for our Congress. We pray for our Supreme Court, especially at this time. We pray also for our state and local governments. We pray for those whom you have set aside for leadership that we might thereby honor the governing authorities who are our neighbors and friends. And we ask, O oh Lord, that in all ways, even through all of the rancor and battles that they fight, that it is your will that might emerge from all those deliberations. And Lord, toward that end, we ask that we might be a people engaged and involved, living a life of civic responsibility and, and engagement, that we, O oh Lord, might thereby honor those who went before us. Thank you, O oh Lord, that it is your son who went before us first, who paid the ultimate price for our freedom, made us free that we might never submit again to a yoke of, a of slavery. May we live in that joy and may we embrace that responsibility. We thank you, O oh Lord, and and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, who's our Savior and Lord. Amen. And we bring to him our tithes and offerings this morning.
And Father, even now, we ask that we might be raised up into the place where we might hear your word and hear your voice. Speak to us, O Lord, that we might be a transformed and changed people, transformed and deployed in service in the world that you came to save. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas has a dark side. Imagine if you were in Joseph's place. Imagine if you had heard what Joseph heard. And, and what would you do? Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Behold, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. May God add his understanding to the hearing of his word. So Uncle Billy has the envelope with $8,000 in it. And he leaves Bailey Savings and Loan, goes to the bank to make the deposit. And somehow the money gets lost because Uncle Billy's a bit of a, well, he's kind of an Uncle Billy. <laughs> and George Bailey, on behalf of his father, is taking over the savings loan, or building loan, it's called. He's taking it over, and he finds out that the deposit hasn't been made, and that they will default. They're going to be in all kinds of trouble. And Bailey is, is near panicked. And he, he goes to Mr. Potter to see if Potter will give him some, some grace and forgiveness, but Potter says no, and actually goes out to have George Bailey arrested. On top of that, he's, he's angry at home. His kids, can you believe it, or kids are making noise. <laughs> and he's so upset that he goes down to martinis, and he drinks. And he's miserable. And 
while he's at the bar. He says, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. Then he finds out that he's sitting next to the husband of a school teacher that he had yelled at earlier in the day. And that husband gets up and says, oh, you're George Bailey, and socks him in the jaw. <laughs> Down he goes. And he said, that's what I get for praying. Now, if you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, it's a wonderful movie. And I believe that that place of desperation that is depicted by Frank Capra in that classic is a picture of, of Joseph. He hears that his beloved Mary is pregnant, and he knows it's not him. You know, the way marriage happened in that time of, the, of, the, of history in the first century world of Palestine, they were arranged marriages, but they weren't purely arranged. Parents talked with one another. Parents recognized, well, your daughter is really cute. I got my son here, and maybe we should, you know, maybe we should do something about this. Parents talked. And then boys saw girls. A lot, some things never change. And, and, and arranged marriage wasn't just ordinarily parents and making arrangements over the heads of the kids. The kids always had something to say. As we all know, if we've had kids, we all know they have something to say. And so I believe that when Joseph and Mary entered into their betrothal, it was because these two had seen each other, really loved each other, that there was a deep affection that they shared toward one another. Mary had to be a beautiful young woman. And Joseph, in all likelihood, was maybe 10 to 15 years older. But also, in all likelihood, Mary, who was probably in her mid-teens, is probably a, a good man, hardworking, known in the community as, as that, that carpenter who did such good work. And then this word comes to him, that she's pregnant. And she said, but Joseph, honey, it was by the Holy Spirit. Joseph would love to believe this, would love to believe that there was something other than what he thought. Joseph couldn't walk through the streets of his hometown without looking at the other guys or those lousy Roman soldiers who've come to town. Tore him up. But he, he did not want to disgrace her, so he decided he's just going to end the betrothal. A betrothal was as legally binding as a marriage at that time. They would be betrothed for a full year before the marriage actually took place. 
And he decided that he would then just quietly get this taken care of, as if anything can be done quietly in a small town. But how does he, how does he keep her from bearing too much embarrassment and, and undergoing the, the kind of scandalous stuff that is going to be unfolding as she begins to show in a small town where everyone knows everything about everyone. But he decides the best way to do it is just to do it quietly, not make a big scene, and then just go their separate ways. And an angel comes to him in a dream. And it had to be one of those dreams that was so realistic that he woke up and thought that it was already real. It's like Stan Laurel. I was dreaming, I was awake, and I woke up and I found myself asleep. <laughs> he was dreaming and it was so real that he decided to, to do it. He decided to take Mary as his wife. So they shortened that betrothal period and they became husband and wife before the approved time. And he thereby, with Mary, in that community, as she starts showing and as the tongues begin to wag, he will bear the reproach. He'll take the hit. He'll do what he has to do to do the right thing. And yet in this case, the right thing is not the legal thing. The legal thing would have been to set her aside. But the least of that which is moral is that which is legal. He does the right thing. He bears the reproach that she would otherwise suffer all alone. And to which one can only say yes. That's what a real man should do. Should protect, provide, take care of. He should take the bullet for his dear bride. He should suffer on her behalf. The Apostle Paul says that Husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. That's what Joseph did. Did the right thing. And doing the right thing, anytime we do the right thing, we may or may not see the consequences of doing the right thing. It may be that we can do something that we know in our heart is the right thing, as Joseph does here, but then come away from that and then think, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And it may be nothing. It may be that we don't see that we get anything out of doing the right thing. And, and yet we 
we must do that which is the most noble, the most moral thing for us to be the kind of men and women that God has called us to be. You know, for something doesn't, to be right doesn't mean it has to be written down somewhere. We can't write it all down. We can't write down all that is right. We can write down easily what's wrong. That's why we have Ten Commandments. But what's right, it's, it's a matter of personal, a personal call where, we've, where we weigh all the variables and, and try to see what comes out on the far side of this, even if we must, as Joseph did, take the hit. And so he did. Now Mary, as she began to show, left town. She went down to see her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth was also with child, and, and she was beyond her birthing years, she thought. And then here she ends up pregnant. And uh, Jesus' cousin was going to be born before too long, John, who became John the Baptist. But Mary left town. She went down to be with her cousin. And, and Joseph stayed and continued his work until such time that they had to make that trip down to Bethlehem because of some bureaucrat in Rome who wanted to levy a tax on them, and they had to go back to their hometown to do it. And so the, the dark reality of Christmas is going up to the day, there's, there's not much to sing about, not much to celebrate. It's all, it's all scandal. It's all hardship. It's all difficulty. And even years later, when Joseph, in all likelihood, is long gone, and they would talk about Jesus and the authority and and legitimacy of who Jesus is, there would be some references back. Well, isn't this Joseph's son? So we think. But in all likelihood, Jesus grew and entered into his ministry. And by the time he did, in all likelihood, Joseph was long gone and never saw the consequences of his doing the right thing. And how much of life is that way? How much of life is, is not doing those things that we're going to see the consequences within a few weeks or even a couple of years? But how many times have we made decisions where we've done what we thought was the right thing and we never saw the consequence come back to us? We never saw any validation of, of that call that we made. But we did what was right. And those, those instances in which people make personal ultimate sacrifices for others, they don't, they don't fall, nobody falls on, an, on a grenade because they love death. They do those things because they love life. And they, they throw themselves into that place of sacrifice 
because life is so good, it is so precious. And, and they will never see the consequence of their action. They never see the, the children that are born of those lives that were saved. And then the grandchildren and the contributions that those others made. This is to simply say that life is not a, a quid pro quo proposition. We don't put into it and expect to get something out of it. The number of times that I've done memorial services for saints of God, time and time again, I recognize the, those people who saw that life was not about getting as much out of it as, as they could, but putting as much into it as they could. A real success is not gathering as much stuff as possible. Real success is, is giving in whatever ways we can. I like to say that Christians are the cheapest, most generous people on the planet. And that is our calling. We're to be parsimonious. We're to pinch that nickel till the buffalo barks. <laughs> but then we're to serve one another with hands open, especially to those in need. That's the example of Joseph. He lived, and in all likelihood, because we don't know when he died, but in all likelihood, sometime between the time that Jesus was 12 years old and they went to the temple and the beginning of his ministry, in all likelihood, Joseph died. And what did he see? He just saw this, this kid <clears throat> become a young man, working with him, working alongside of him. They joked, they laughed, they worked hard. Jesus went out and did some jobs, and I like to think because Jesus was perfect, he'd do a perfect carpentry job. <laughs> but the reality is he was a kid, fully human, and Joseph would have to go in and, and show him how to do it right. So maybe Joseph, maybe the satisfaction was simply being a father, a father, if not the father, because he wasn't. But he knew he could be a father to, these, to this boy, as well as, as the father to those other children that came along. And in that, perhaps, was adequate satisfaction. But for him to know that what he did would yield, ultimately, the hope of the ages for all generations was far beyond his view. So it is for us. We do things beyond our view. We do the right thing, and all we can see is that short horizon. But the Lord is managing it all on the far side. Will you join me in prayer? Thank you, O oh Lord that while we see in a, through a glass dimly, one day it'll be face to face. Well, now we know in part, 
then we shall understand fully, even as we have been fully understood. So thank you, Lord. And thank you that you give us hearts that burn with compassion and passion to do the right thing. Thank you, O Lord, for your nurturing spirit within us. We pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.